Good morning. My name is Walter Nussbaum. I'm the teaching pastor, one of the teaching pastors here at Rock Point Church. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, we'll be there briefly this morning. Romans chapter 8. Uh, Ron, the senior pastor here, uh, who is in Hawaii presently doing mission work, um, supposedly, he, uh, he asked me to fill in this morning. And, you know, one of the challenges of filling in uh, for one message is uh, it's easy to do a series to go through a book because basically the text tells you what to say. Uh, preaching verse by verse to me is very easy and it's, it's just it flows through a book. Uh, choosing a topic um, to preach to you know five six hundred people on a Sunday is can be a bit tough because so many things swirl through your head and I love theology and apologetics so much it's always easy for me to want to fall back on something like that but it's just not where my heart's been this week and I wanted to speak on something this week uh, with you that's been very dear to my heart and I think will be a blessing to hopefully everybody here. Um, this will not be a, um, uh, a message for the strong. Uh, this will not be a uh, machismo theology message. This is not going to be for people who are into John Wayne Christianity. Um, this isn't going to be Rocky Balboa spirituality. This message is going to be for those who are weak who admit their weakness, who hurt, who struggle, who cry out to God and long to know where He is. It's going to be for those who want a closeness with God and aren't quite sure how to do it. It's just going to be a message of just um, the honesty of the spiritual life. Um, I do quite a bit of reading, and every once in a while I'll run across a book that leaves kind of this indelible imprint on my heart. And there was a book years ago that I read by an author named Henry Nowen. I don't know if you guys have read any of his work. If you've not, I want to highly encourage you to pick up his stuff. And Henry Nowen wrote a book called Life of the Beloved several years ago. And in this, he took the Lord's Supper, and essentially he took four words out of the Lord's Supper, and he said these four words ought to be what describe a walk with God. And if we can seek to embrace these four words in our lives then we can have this intimacy with the Lord uh, in a way that we've never thought of. And I, and I really love this book, and I agree with him. And what he did is he took... You remember when Jesus was at the Last Supper? And he, he does this. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he gives it. And it's those four concepts I want to talk about this morning. This idea of being taken or chosen by God of being blessed, of being broken, and then of being given unto others. Um, in Romans 8, Paul says this in verse 29. Wonderful verse. Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. In biblical imagery, the word know oftentimes means more than just being aware of or to understand. It means actually to have an intimate relation with. For instance, in the Old Testament, you see this a lot. Um, Isaac knew Rebekah. Rachel uh, or, or uh, Jacob knew Rachel. It's this idea of an intimacy, this union that is there. And that's, that word is used about God towards us. For whom he foreknew. Meaning, as Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the world, God loved you. 
He loved you. Before the foundations of the world, there was an intimacy that He had, that He loved us so much, and He chose you. Now, I don't want to get into the theological doctrine of election and how God does it. I just want to state the fact that He chose us in Him. And that's the beautiful thought of this idea of chosenness. I thought about it this week, just try to help myself make sense of this. And I went back to those times in my life that in order to understand being chosen, I had to understand, go back and remember those times that I wasn't. And what that felt like. You know, and I started off with that very challenging time in life that most of us have been through. You remember elementary school recess? It's one of the worst times of life for some kids. You go out and you go out to play soccer, and what do they do? They pick teams, right? So all the kids, and I remember back when I was in second and third and fourth grade, I was a little guy, a little scrawny guy. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't fast. I was medium. I wasn't great. I was just a fun, loving kid. But I always longed to be chosen. And those times that it didn't happen just were so painful for me to have 30, 40 kids all there and these self-appointed captains. And how did they get to be captains anyway? They just self-appoint themselves, these confident kids in elementary school. I'm captain. I'm captain. Okay, I'll take, I'll take Bill. Okay, I'll take Tim. Okay, I'll take Carrie. Okay, I'll take Paul. Okay, and meanwhile, 28 names later, Walter Demetrius Nussbaum is still standing there. And they don't even have the decency to say, okay, we'll take Walt. It's, all right, you're with us. Just kind of the obligatory, all right. And I remember those times. Oh, how painful. And why I would always go to the soccer field at recess, I don't know. Probably because I always thought maybe I'll go in the, you know, the seventh round. But I always went in the 28th round. And it was tough. It really was. That experience. Or I remember you know, early on uh, birthday parties as a kid. And you'd find out that a couple of your buddies got invited to a party. I didn't get the invitation. What's wrong with me? Why wasn't I chosen? You guys know what I'm talking about? I remember junior high. Oh, what a tough time for me in junior high. I really, when I, I stand here today, I'm remar- it's, it's remarkable to me the work that God has done um, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, what God has made me into today. Because when I look back at who I was and where I am, it's the work of God. But I remember in junior high, we lived in a house where I could walk to elementary school every day. I could walk to the junior high. I could walk to the high school 100 feet across the street. And then I could even walk to college in North Texas, which I didn't walk back then. But, um, but whenever I'd go to junior high, we had the street called Alice Street. And Alice Street would run right into Congress Junior High School. Mon- where Mon- Monty's over. You remember that, Monty? Monty was in junior high with me back then. And I remember when I would walk down Alice Street, in the front of the school, you would have all the cool 7th graders here. Remember? All the cool ninth graders here. All the cool 8th graders here in the front of the school waiting for the bell to ring. And that was my only route. I had to walk that way, and I dreaded it. And there would be times, honestly, that I was so fearful of rejection that I would... 
I, I literally would hide behind telephone poles sometimes and just wait for the bell to ring. Um, there would be times I would go way out of my way down Coit and come all the way around behind the school and go hang out with the Dungeons and Dragons crowd. <laughs> just, and I remember one day I was making my little escape route around and this girl, she was one of the popular eighth graders. She saw me and she yells out, Walter! She was just so excited that she saw me because I'm, I never hung out in front of the school. And I looked up and of course I was filled with embarrassment now that every eye is on me. And she screams, come here! I, I'd never experienced that. I mean, I was fine during school and in class. And I was a fun kid and I mean, I had lots of friends. But that, that moment of walking in front of everybody just was so painful because I feared rejection so much that I wouldn't be chosen. And I remember I ran up there. And she goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're here. How fun. And everyone kind of surrounded me. And I'm telling you, it probably was the greatest day of my whole junior high experience. No kidding. It was the greatest day I experienced in junior high because I was chosen by Susan. And she was cute. <laughs> and, you know, we can all go to those things, can't we? And I know some of you guys are sitting here going, what's he talking about? It's because you were the captain. <laughs> See? I wasn't then. I was a little guy walking around just, you know, wanted to be chosen. But, you know, that's the beauty of chosenness is that God takes all of that stuff in our lives and then eventually invades your life. And He says, you're chosen. The world may try to define and redefine you all that it wants. It may look at you with a broken marriage. It may look at you with fractures between you and your parents, between you and your kids. It may look at you and what you do for a living or how much money you make or don't make. And the world will look and it will seek to beat you down and define and redefine you at times. And you cannot believe it. You cannot believe what the world says about you. Because when the world defines who you are, you become a slave to what the world wants. And God looks down and He says, uh, I have chosen you before the foundations of the world to be conformed to the likeness of my Son. Isn't that good? That God made the explicit choice for you, not just us, you. He loves you. And then now one takes this idea of once Jesus takes or chooses this bread, remember what He does? He blesses it. And now one's right. All of us, all of our lives are looking to be blessed. To have those words said about us. I'm not talking about, hey dude, what's up man? You're awesome. We get a lot of that. Slapping on the shoulder. Hey dude, you the man. Thanks. Only time that was ever used in the Bible, by, by the way, you the man is whenever David got called out for his adultery. Just a little note there. <laughs> you the man. That's what we do. But I'm talking about being blessed. Where there is that thing that is said to you that reveals to you your true identity and who you are. My son Cooper, a lot of you know, uh, I'm a single dad, and so 
I really take advantage of all the time I get to see my son. He's one of the greater baseball players of our country right now. He's seven years old. And uh, I went down to Houston. He was in the playoffs. I went to go watch him play. And um, he's in one of those positions at bat now where you hate it, but you love it, right? But you hate it. It's two outs, uh, two strikes on him, bottom of the sixth. He's the last batter, two kids on base, and you're thinking, help me, Jesus. Everyone around you is screaming, you know, putting the pressure on your kid. Um, one, one lady even yelled out loud, Come on, Coop, don't let us down. And she meant good. She just was into the moment, wanted him to get a big hit. After the second strike, I'm sitting directly behind the backstop right there, and he knew where I was. And after the second strike, and he always went to two strikes. I don't know why. I think he just always wanted to stress me out. But I could see that he really felt the pressure. He really felt it. I mean, he's seven. And he turns back. He kind of steps out of the box and he turns back and he looks right at me. Just, I don't mean a glance. I mean, he looked at me. And all kinds of things went through my mind on what I could say to him. And I just instinctively, I looked at him and I just said, That's all I knew what to say to him. I loved him. And I didn't care if he hit the ball. I don't care if he struck out. I just wanted him to know that no matter what, I don't care what your performance is like, Daddy loves you. I don't care what anybody says about you. I don't care who you disappoint. I love you, Cooper. And that will never go away, buddy. That's what he needed to hear. And you know, and that's the Lord. I mean, he looks at us. My gosh, look at us. What have we done We've messed up, haven't we? We do things, we say things, things have been done to us. And God looks down, and in Christ, He looks at you and He goes, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. I'm not happy with everything that you do. I mean, my gosh, how many of us are happy with everything that our kids do? But do you ever stop being pleased with Him? I mean, the Father can look down at Jesus and He can say, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. And for those of us who are in Christ, He looks down at us. And it is the exact same blessing. I am pleased with my daughter. With my son. You don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. He loves you. He blesses us with that. And He tries to reveal that inner sense of who we really are. And that's what we do to others. We should bless others. You know, I was so just challenged this week working through this that I got on my phone the other day and there was a couple people that had just gone through some things that were very difficult that I just picked up the phone just to bless them. And I realized a little bit how uncomfortable I felt. I, I don't mean, hey, what's up, dude? Man, I just want to tell you you're a good buddy. Man, I just appreciate your friend. That wasn't that. I mean, I took the step to bless them. And to hear the way they received that was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced from people. And to hear the emotion 
that we crave the blessing of being fully accepted and loved by somebody. No, we don't listen to the world. Some of us have been through some very difficult times. Some of us, you know, maybe aren't in the career path that we want to be. Some of you have not been employed for a while. Some of you have been through divorces. Some of you have got children that are running amok. And people can look at you and just see you as failure, unacceptable. God says, no, in you I am well pleased. Isn't that good? That's so good. Well, what does Jesus do then? He takes the bread. He blesses it. And you remember what he does? He breaks it. And see, before there can ever be any real wholeness or healing, there has to be that breaking. Before you can give it, you've got to break it. And there is a brokenness that occurs in every one of us. All of us here are broken. And you know what's crazy? The world spends all of its time trying to mask that it's broken. Have you figured that out yet? I mean, how many times do you have to go up to somebody and say, hey, how's it going? And they go, good, real good, man. Real good. Awesome. Really awesome. Wow, every time I ask you how you're doing, you're awesome. Yeah, I'm awesome. Meanwhile, a whole bunch of them are dying because they're scared to death to reveal what's going on deep inside of their lives and their hearts and their fears and their tears and all the stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. How are you doing? Awesome. We're both awesome. That's great. We should just hang out more. Be awesome together. Really have a great substantive time together of growth. Since we're both awesome, we don't have to take from each other anymore. See, that's what the world does, these masks. I'm going to put on all kinds of stuff, and you're not going to see who I am. You're not going to see my struggle, my failure, my fears, or nothing. See? And God kind of rigs life in such a way that life does what life does. And suddenly, those little fissures and cracks deep inside of us suddenly snap. And now, it's there for all to see. And now we're broken. And now we've got a choice. I can hide my brokenness in the, in the dark and conceal it. Henry Nowen tells the illustration of a crystal glass. And he says, you know, you take a crystal glass and if it drops and shatters, if you do that in the shade or in the dark, it just looks like a shattered glass. It's got of no use anymore. There's nothing beautiful about it anymore. But he said, if you, he said, if you shatter the glass in the light, even though the form has changed, you see just how much sparkle there is in the light. And now one's right. We have to take our brokenness and those things of our lives and cast them before the light of God and say, Lord, I believe Your Word says in due time all things will be made, will be made beautiful. Show me something beautiful in this, Lord. Show me something about my heart. Show me something that will show the beauty of You in this situation. And there's a brokenness that has to occur. Are we honest with those close to us about those things in our lives, those fears, those problems, those issues? Are we an authentic people? Or are we running around like everybody else with this big mask? And when people say, how you doing? 
we just give the perfunctory, awesome, real good. Takes the bread and he breaks it. And only after it's broken can it now be given. Now I went to the bookstore the other day and I'm always, I always go to the new releases, the best sellers to see what's out there. And it's really amazing what continues to sell huge. Everything that sells is how to maximize your life, how to make your life great. I was teaching a tennis lesson at the club that I teach at down in Dallas about a week or so ago. And there's a man who's far more successful than I'll ever be financially. And he starts telling me about a book he's reading. And he says, man, this is a great book. I said, really, tell me about it. He says, well, it's all about how you've got only one life to live. And you've got to maximize your life. You've got to carpe diem, seize the moment. You've got to quit losing your life for others and making your life about others. It's about you. I went, are you serious? He said, yeah. What do you? I said, that's a terrible book. He said, it is? I said, yes. I said, I don't believe that. I said, what's that called, narcissism in me? What a, what a lousy book that that's what my life is about. No, a fulfilled life is a life that once it's embraced, it's chosenness by God, once it's embraced the fact that I am blessed, He loves me. And once I've accepted my brokenness and who I really am, now... Life is about me taking my life and giving. It's like the care ministry that we just have. It's going to be those people who have experienced that sort of a life that now they can do nothing but give. You know who's going to volunteer for this kind of a ministry? It's going to be those people who have been so touched and hurt in life that they can't do anything but want to reach out and help the hurting. That's what life is about. It's about taking your life and pouring it out. It's becoming those crumbs that in and of, in of themselves, they can't fill anybody, but they arouse the appetite in others to want to eat of the bread of life who can fill. That's what my life is about. Hey, everything else, you know, all the other stuff that the world offers, that may or may not come. Frankly, I don't even, I don't even think about it. What I want my life to be about is when it's all said and done, the crumbs that I've left behind, were they crumbs that led people to the bread of life? Did I lead them to the place where I know that they can be filled with the bread of life? Or did I spend all my time eating my own loaf? See, that's the beauty of Nowen's idea of this Last Supper, of taking this bread, who is us, and now our lives are given. I'll read you a great little poem. It's short. A little poem called Gethsemane. For some of you who maybe aren't familiar with Gethsemane, Gethsemane was the place, the garden where Jesus went before he was taken captive and then ultimately crucified. And he went there and he prayed. And remember his prayer? Let this cup pass from my lips, O Lord, but not my will be done, but let thy will be done. Gethsemane. Down shadowy lanes, across strange streams, bridged over by broken dreams. Behind the misty caps of years, beyond the great salt fount of tears, the garden lies. 
Strive as you may, you cannot miss it in your way. All paths that have been or shall be pass somewhere through Gethsemane. Amen? That's right. All those who journey sooner or late must pass within the garden's gate. Must kneel alone in darkness there and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine, but who instead pray, let this cup pass, and cannot see the purpose of Gethsemane. Isn't that good? See, we don't run from our Gethsemanes. We don't put masks and deny them. We don't flee from them. We don't run and find ten ways towards self-indulgence and get away from our fierce battles alone. We face them. We enter into them. We go through them. And then and only then is there a life that is born anew and with strength and with power who now has something to offer the world. Five, six years ago, I could teach this book pretty good. I learned it, paid $340 a semester hour to learn how to teach this book. I knew theology, knew apologetics. I could sit down with somebody. I could educate them. I could teach them. Not bad. When I went through what I went through of just the loss of a marriage, loss of my son for so much of the time, the loss of a job and ministry that I cherished, the loss of friendships through that, the suspicion of others. All of those things I can still remember so vividly the darkness that I felt of what in the world lies ahead for me. I still remember the I needed a job. So I called my old I called my old boss at the country club that I used to teach tennis at when I was in seminary and I told him and I said do you guys have any positions open? That week, one of the full-time pros had just put in his resignation. And he said, why don't you take his job? I won't even interview. Just take it. I was so excited for that, but I remember thinking, I cannot believe I'm about to start feeding tennis balls again. There you go, Mary. That's it. Good. Rack it back. Oh, you're a little late on that one, Mary. Oh, good shot, Mary. Oh, awesome. Good job on that volley, Mary. Yeah. And I thought, what, what has my life come to? I feel like I just got sent back 20 years. I'm broke. I've got, I didn't know what was going to happen. But you know, I had somebody walking me through it. She said, stay in the light. Don't believe what people think about you. Don't believe what people say about you. You stay in the light. And if you stay in the light, God will show you the glimmering pieces in the light. And I did. I stayed in the light. I stayed close to Him. I struggled. I wept. I hurt. I went through it. And you know, I stand here today as a broken, fearful, frightened guy at times to tell you that God is a God who loves you. And He will restore 
the pains of your heart. That's what He does. He restores the pains of the brokenhearted. Any good? That's who He is. If you stay in the light and don't drift, but you stay close.